0: Welcome to Us and You, a podcast about military medicine, the Uniformed Services University, and how to thrive as a healthcare professional. Join us as we focus on a wide range of topics organized in mini series and continue to develop new content that is most relevant to the military healthcare provider in training. Before you can learn to care for those in harm's way, you must first learn to care for yourself. This is awesome us and you
1: all right so welcome back to us and you i am dr ryan lando one of the assistant deans for preclinical sciences in the office for student affairs and I'm joined today again with Dr. Michelle Parker, the head of school at Seneca Academy. This is episode two of our parenting series in the military, and last time we talked a lot about the idea of the parenting mission statement, right? This idea that in military terms, it was really that strategic level view of getting on the same page with any of your co-parents and collaborators in your child's life and development and having a sense of where you wanna be with your child when they grow up. So obviously that's gonna look different for everybody. But Dr. Barker, have you noticed any common themes uh, in your work?
2: Yeah, there's actually been some research on this. And when people are are asked, uh, what do you ultimately want for your child, which is what gets incorporated into these mission statements, people uniformly will say they want their children to be happy, they want their children to be healthy, kind, um, successful in their own pursuits. And then beyond that what you see is people's mission statements start to take on uh, some individuality based on the the values and interests of a particular family uh, we want them to be uh, raised with this religion we want them to have these kinds of traditions we are outdoors people and we like our children to be outdoorsy right. um, but the happy healthy kind successful in their own pursuits is is a a constant.
1: Okay. All right. And I, I think it sounds great in theory, right? I think all of us um, would absolutely aspire to that for our kids. And I think today what I really hope we can do is dive into that that next level, that what we call the operational level in the military. Of how do we get there? How do we accomplish the strategic vision? So what what are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, I like to think about it as we have to get from point A to point B, with point A being where children are when they're born, which is Um, not able to do much at all in terms of their own self-regulating, setting goals, achieving goals. I mean, they're really just trying to get their needs met at that point, Um, all the way to to the happy, healthy, successful in their own pursuits. That really is what I call point B, Um, and that's where we want uh, kids at that point to be independent, to be self-regulated, to be flexible thinkers, to be able to anticipate consequences, make healthy decisions for themselves. Um, set and achieve goals, have a sense of purpose, and, you know, in essence, uh, be able to love, work, and play in an effective way that leads them to to feel satisfied with their lives. From a brain development perspective, um, what's interesting is if you take all those skills and and attributes um, that we're looking for in point B... The one common thing among all of those is that they require effective functioning of the frontal lobes. And that is really the part of the brain that does the most developing post-birth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so what we need to do is to, to, in essence, help promote frontal lobe development. And just to give you an example of how that works, the frontal lobes are the ones that are really in charge of emotional regulation, of long-term planning. They are the part that gives us a a moral compass, that helps us manage social relationships, and ultimately gives us executive control of all of our actions and thoughts. At an operational level, one of the ways that we promote this development is by setting healthy limits, and and that and is important by helping kids be able to make use of those limits in a way that helps them self-regulate.
1: Yeah. You know, one of the things I'm kind of wondering about is, you know, we talk about these big behavioral kind of outcomes being independent, regulated, flexible thinkers. And you you just were talking about what's going on sort of in our brains and our frontal lobes um, and then talked about this idea of healthy, you know, setting healthy limits. So how does setting limits help with that brain development that you were talking about?
2: That's a great question. Well, In essence, the setting limits is what helps give children the reason to learn how to self-regulate. It sets uh, boundaries and expectations that then the children have to meet. And in order to meet them, they have to rally their self-regulation skills and or develop. Them if uh, as as needed over time, but m- even more than that, setting limits helps empower a sense of agency in kids that they can do something. So if you set a, a boundary and they see themselves achieving that, they end up having a sense that yes, I can do it, mm. and that they are the ones who have met that limit. And ultimately, if you think about pursuing uh, things that interest them and that they're passionate about. One of the things that we really want is for kids to have that kind of can-do sense in themselves. Setting limits is also, if you think about a moral compass, setting limits is also how we communicate our values to kids. When we uh, tell a a child, you know, eat this this way or have these manners at a table, at at, at the dinner table – when we communicate um, values about how we relate to each other, when we communicate values that, um, that show us what respectful uh, living in a family looks like, that's how we're giving them a moral compass to internalize. And then finally, I think that one of the things that, that is really important for, for brain development and for emotional development in general is for kids to feel not too overwhelmed and, and safe they, and And limits when kids don't have limits and the limits aren't being established and maintained effectively, that leaves kids feeling scared and overwhelmed uh, and and that is scary to them. They feel out of control, uh, their amygdala gets hijacked, and they have less access to part of their brain that will help them self regulate to the frontal lobes uh, so so to just to promote healthy development. The limits help them feel contained, mm. uh, so that so that they can use more of their emotional energy towards development.
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. I always enjoy these conversations because I think we see so many parallels in the military. Right? We have uh, each of our services has these core values that that we um, all seek to embody, and I think a lot of times we're charged to look at the regulations and our customs and courtesies and our histories and traditions through the lens of those core values, which is sort of the same thing that you're, you're talking about within a family. And then the other thing that you, you were just talking about in terms of feeling overwhelmed when there's um, not structure, I, I think about some of the settings that sometimes our service members can get in where they're in a lot of danger and difficulty. The reason that we've promoted this idea of a code of conduct is just these very simple ways that we're expected to conduct ourselves in very difficult situations to provide a sense of structure in a very unstructured place. So I think that makes a lot of sense across development and 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 that's wonderful. I'm wondering, you know, one of the other things that we talk about in the military is this idea of good order and discipline. So I think that's really going to resonate with the families that are listening today, but do you do you mind if we can kind of break this down to that next level, that tactical level of okay, what do parents need to do um, to accomplish this? What techniques do they, they use to do that?
2: Well, I think apropos to what you were just saying about structure, the very first thing that parents really should spend some time doing, and and this tags into the mission statement, is to create a family environment that's going to bring out the best in in everybody, to minimize stress levels and to maximize growth opportunities. And that really starts with looking at your routines. Uh, I know at at Seneca Academy, one of the things that we do in preschool classrooms is look at how kids transition from one activity to another, how we support those transitions, how we set up procedures for hand washing, for getting to circle time, because that structure helps keep things contained and moving in a smooth way and, uh, and people feeling less overwhelmed. Then, beyond that, it's really about setting up a discipline or parenting paradigm that supports frontal lobe development uh, and, that, and that moves kids forward, and that's we're going to talk a little bit more about this, I hope, um, that's, that's a paradigm that isn't about taking control of kids' behavior, but really having an influence that helps them move forward in that point A to point B.
1: And so you talked about this idea of a paradigm in, in, in a family. What what is that paradigm supposed to look like? Tell me more about that.
2: Well, there's there's been a lot of research on what kinds of parenting styles really lead to the most successful outcomes in kids, measured in, in all sorts of ways, including Looking at, at uh, retroactively at individuals who feel very satisfied with where they are in lives, and four different uh, parenting styles have been identified uh, in, in those studies. One is a more permissive, indulgent parent. Another is a very uninvolved and indifferent parent, which hopefully none of our uh, listeners right. fall into that category. A third category is parents that are a little bit more imposing and and uh, more authoritarian, and the, these would be the parents who really are trying to manage things by asserting more control uh, over their their children's um, behaviors and and lives. And the fourth one is actually the one that um, that leads to the better results uh, in kids, and that's the parents who are what we call authoritative. And I think the 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 common way of understanding that is that that's the firm but loving parent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a parent that is able to be empathetic to to what the kid's going through, understand that uh, that the challenges uh, that kids face, including in being able to live w- within limits, uh, is really a developmental task. But at the same time, holding firm to those limits, understanding that that it is by helping uh, children live within those limits that they are promoting that brain development. And a a piece of this with the empathy is understanding that the limits that they are setting are age-appropriate. And I think Mm. that's – we're going to talk about pitfalls later, but one of the biggest pitfalls is is setting limits that are actually – or having expectations of kids that are actually not age-appropriate.
1: You know, it's 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 really fun to talk about some of these things and to see parallels in what we do in education because one of the things that I'm always thinking about with the students that we work with is that um, we need to talk about military good order and discipline and set what the bounds of competency are for physicians um, because ultimately we're responsible to the service members and to the public that they treat, that they're going to go forth, and and I would be failing them if I didn't have those difficult conversations, and so again those conversations aren't easy, they're not always pleasant, and I know that for the students that can produce a lot of trepidation, but but they're always hopefully delivered in a place that comes from support, but that also recognizes that we will will be ultimately be failing them if we have them move forward and they don't get that feedback. And I think that's what you're saying is, is really important with, with kids' development at different ages. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more though about, you know, this idea of what's developmentally appropriate and effective kind of consequences and limits. I mean, what does that look like uh, for children at different ages?
2: Well, really want to start with, with understanding what Age-appropriate expectations are so. If we're setting limits for a three-year-old, expecting them to be able to be moving along and getting ready to go to school somewhat on their own, and and then get upset because they're not they're not dressed or haven't put on their mm-hmm. shoes, three-year-olds don't have a sense of time. Uh, they can't really manage uh, two, let alone three-step directions. Uh, so it's not going to work out in the morning yes. routine and And that isn't really on the child uh, that really is an unrealistic expectation, So we have to start with uh n- grow the tree you've got mm-hmm. uh, and and work with the child at their developmental stage to envision uh, limits and boundaries and expectations that that truly are within their reach because we want to set them up for success then beyond that, I think having the limits. Clarified and established ahead of time, as much as possible, Mm -hmm. giving them warning and giving them an understanding of what's gonna of what's gonna happen, and being posed in a positive way, not in an angry way. So, um, show me that you're ready. What what's it gonna look like when you're when you're ready to go to school? I'm gonna have my shoes on okay, great, show me you can do that. So that's turning it on a positive and promoting, and promoting development by being very clear with the expectation and ensuring that the child understands it and, and so forth. That's for a young child. For an older child, working with them to set a limit on how much time they can be on technology. Well, how, how are we going to work it out when I tell you to stop and, and you don't stop? Uh, what warning do you need? So so working on it ahead of time and making sure that it's age-appropriate. I think you also, just a, a few uh, tidbits of advice for setting limits in a way that kids can make use of them, conveying the impact of the undesirable behavior. Mm. So, for instance, with the older child who doesn't get off the computer Saying something like, that really hurts my feelings. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's hard for me, and it leads us to have tension in our relationship, and I don't like that. Uh, so they start to learn the impact that they have on other people, and that maybe helps them motivate to work with you in a collaborative way. We're going to talk more about this uh, in a later podcast. Mm-hmm. Giving them alternative strategies. sometimes Sometimes kids don't do a certain behavior because that's all they know. Uh, so for instance, a, a, a three or four-year-old who hits their younger sibling because the 18-month-old took the toy, right. uh, they don't have any other skills to be able to navigate something that causes them tension. So it's modeling to them how they can use their words, giving them some other kind of alternative hitting the baby no soft touch so we're so what we're doing when we're setting the limits is not just maintaining the boundary but also modeling and helping the children develop the skills that they need to to regulate or a child who gets angry very easily helping them learn how to breathe uh, so that so that they don't have to act I have a little uh, a little song that I, I use with three- and four-year-olds at, at our preschool that we're going to stop, think, talk, and we have hand signals that go with it to help them remember to slow down. Well, that's the beginning of self-regulation. So uh, thinking of discipline, not just as setting limits and a, a starting control, but teaching sure. them something. And I think...
1: You know, you talked a little bit about giving warnings, and I know uh, parents have heard lots of different things, like you know, counting behavior and other things like that. I mean, any thoughts that you have on on ways that you can give those warnings in a in a way that's going to be the most effective?
2: Yeah. So one of my favorite books that I give to to friends when they have a baby is uh, called One Two Three Magic by Tom Phelan. And what I like about One Two Three Magic is that it it's Really, no different than what our grandmothers might have used, but it 's really not about the counting so it 's not one, two, three strikes you 're out it's the The counting is about letting kids know that they need to start mobilizing their self regulation so it 's about supporting their self regulatory mechanisms, so you give a one and it doesn 't have to be. A one. My mother would have done it with eyebrow shifts, <laughs> uh, but but you're letting kids know that they're approaching a boundary. That if they continue to move towards that, they're going to cross it, and then there's going to be some kind of consequence, hopefully a natural consequence, that uh, that 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 they're not gonna, they're not necessarily gonna like and that isn't gonna be moving them in the direction that they want to move in. Uh, so, so really using, thinking of the limits as, uh, and, and the, and the warnings as a way of helping them self-regulate
1: you know, it's funny, we talk about having right and left limits, you know, in the military, what are my right and left limits of something. So I think that really resonates. You, you know, one thing that you said, I just want to ask you a quick question on is you use the term natural consequences. What did you mean by that?
2: Well, if you're really using one, two, three magic or, or whatever um, limit setting uh, techniques that you're using, if you think about it from a helping teaching a child to self-regulate, you actually really shouldn't get to too many consequences. So we want to first minimize how many consequences uh, and that, that we have to use. And if we're having to use consequences all the time, like kids are having to get timeouts all day long, then we really have to think about, one, are we setting expectations that are age-appropriate? Are we asking more of the child than they can handle? Uh, And and two, how are we using the the warning system to help them self-regulate? If you do have to use consequences, then, then natural consequences are much better than a timeout. The implication of a timeout is that if a child has an undesirable consequence, they're going to be more motivated next time to do the right thing. Hmm. That's counterintuitive to the paradigm that we're using because if a child can do the right thing, they would. They want to please us. So more often than not when a child isn't able to to reach our expectations or work within the the limits or regulate themselves before they get to a consequence, it's because they can't. Some skill that they need to do that something is not is not working. So just to leave them alone in a timeout doesn't actually move anything forward. It's really just a punishment. And we want the consequence and the next step to actually promote development. Uh, so in in that moment, if a child is is really needing a timeout to to regroup because they're so upset, then rather than just put them in a corner and say, when you're ready, I'll talk to you, which is not a bad thing to say, but I would add, how can I help you get ready? Uh, do you want to try breathing? And you have to know your child because if they're having a temper tantrum, sometimes just saying, I'm here, uh, and letting them use you as as uh, support for self-regulating, I'm here. It's going to be okay. When you're ready, we're going to talk and be problem solvers but uh but the implication is not you are bad you are being punished is something wasn't working we need we need you to calm down get oxygen to your brain so you can be a problem solver and then we're going to problem solve together right. so you see how the, it's it's a punishment versus an assistant and a teacher
1: yeah i mean i think it it reminds me a lot of i was actually given a talk at the university uh about a month ago on couples communication and and we there's that idea of taking a time out in interpersonal conflict and it's it's really framed at this idea of needing some time not to get away from this other individual but for you to be at a point where you can meaningfully communicate and recognizing that sometimes when when we have our amygdala hijacked we're not effectively thinking through things and so framing timeouts as a way and a strategy for self-regulation i think makes a lot of sense and something that we continue to use into adulthood in different ways
2: yeah absolutely
1: well i think this has been really a nice way of getting a little bit into that operational and tactical level and how we set limits why it's important to set limits and how that moves us you know, towards that strategic getting to that point B you were talking about. But we know in the military that that no plan survives first contact. That's one of the things that we we talk about. And so I'm curious, what are some of the things as we, as we wrap up that you think we need to watch out for? What are those pitfalls that, that happen?
2: So one of the things that makes it hard for children to, to know uh, clearly where the boundaries are and what the expectations are is if if limit setting is inconsistent, if parents... Because they're having trouble regulating their own cells, they may resort to empty threats, Uh, they may insist on something and then capitulate, Um, they may assert the the limits and and the boundaries at an emotional 8 or 9 instead of a 5 or 6 temperature, which is probably more effective. They may dole out consequences inconsistently in a way that a child isn't able to understand how the consequence is really a natural consequence to their behavior, so it feels more punitive and not supportive. Remember, we're looking for authoritative, not authoritarian. Sometimes what gets hard in that is parents over-identifying with kids, Uh, so... they, they, especially as the kids get older, that gets more complicated. So not wanting to set certain boundaries or be firm, because you remember when your parents did that with you and you didn't like it. Or parents who just are not the best at having to deal with tension and confronting tension, and so will avoid setting limits uh, to, to avoid the tension. And then finally, I think I was mentioning this before, just parenting out of anger. And mm-hmm. and I think it, one of the things that's really important for us is to learn that we're not perfect and that we're a work in progress. And I think that being able to recognize in ourselves and even model to our children that we can have a growth mindset about ourselves is a good thing. And to remember that we probably should start ourselves with breathing mm-hmm. before we, we parent um, and and making sure that we're getting oxygen into our brain, and if we have to, we can give ourselves a moment to to breathe, especially as the kids get older and you don't. They can delay gratification or delay uh, understanding the consequences. There were plenty of times when my kids were teenagers where I said, you know what, I'm really disappointed and and upset, and I really have to think about the best way to respond. So you know what, for now just go chill. I'm going to come back to you. and We're going to think about this together because I knew I had to calm down. Uh, and then remember that, that the bulk of parenting has to feel joyful to you. It's hard, but, but, but you should be able to enjoy so that, uh, so that you know, that, that the bulk of your family life is enjoyable to the kids as well. So, that's where really thinking about the balance of things is, is helpful. Uh, and keeping in mind that there's no right or wrong answer. You can make a mistake, even with a little guy, and say, you know, I was thinking about how I handled that and how I kind of got a little angry. That happens to you, and I was thinking about it, and maybe this is what we can do. And that that helps model to the child that they're not bad when they lose it. Right. Uh, so, so just being able to, to do all those things and be okay when the limits aren't working and something in your family isn't working the way you want it to be, then you'll, you're just gonna breathe and be problem solvers uh, moving forward.
1: A- absolutely, I mean, I, I tell our students here all the time that you know we give them a lot of feedback, tests and assignments and clinical skills, and so we have to, as faculty, model being able to receive that feedback from them as well because that's another way that we learn, and I think I'm hearing that same idea of modeling as parents, how do we struggle with um, when we're upset and how do we regulate ourselves as a way to help the the children with that? And I think, you know, we talked about this a little bit, but next time I think on this podcast, we're planning to dive in a little bit more deeply into what happens when we get stuck in some pitfall loops and what are some other strategies that we can use to get out of them. So thank you again, Dr. Parker, for joining us today. And I encourage uh, those of you listening to tune in next time. So we, as we get into thinking about how do we solve and navigate some of those parenting
2: pitfalls. It's been wonderful being here with you.
0: Lesson U is sponsored by the USU Student Wellness Advisory Board. The swab is composed primarily of students from the USU School of Medicine, Graduate Education and Graduate School of Nursing, with input from faculty advisors. The views expressed herein are of those of the presenters and do not represent the views of their employers, including the Uniformed Services University, Department of Defense and the United States Government. Interested in more topics? contact the swab at student-wellness at usuhs.edu.